Welcome to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. In this episode, I interview Coach Dwight Perry. He's a head men's basketball coach at Wofford College. Coach, how's it going? It's going well. How are you doing, David? Doing well, man. Coach, you want to give yourself a brief introduction to the listeners? Yeah, I do. Uh, Dwight Perry, uh, the new Wofford head coach. Uh, really excited about joining the podcast. Coach, talk about growing up in Durham, in the Bull City. Yeah, Durham's a really special place for me. You know, both of my parents are from there. I have a pretty, pretty large family. Uh, my dad's one of 16. Uh, my mom's family's from there. My dad's family's from there. And so growing up there all the way through high school, um, you know, being from North Carolina, being around, you know, basketball my whole life, sports in general, but basketball specifically, um, you know, has always been, I didn't know what, where, where basketball would take me, you know, after, after my playing career was over, but always having an affinity for the sport and for the game, I knew it was always going to be a special place in my heart. And so really fortunate that I was able to parlay that, that, that passion into uh, a profession. No question. Both your parents are doctors. Did you ever feel any pressure to follow in their footsteps? No, I, I didn't. Uh, I never, never felt, never felt any type of pressure. Um, and honestly, I deserve all the credit goes to both of my parents. Um, both of my parents are doctors. And so neither one of them ever put any pressure on me to do anything other than what I wanted to do. You know, my, my sister and I um, never had pressure from them to be anything other than what we, what we wanted to be growing up. Awesome. What led you to attend Kentucky and what do you remember about meeting coach Smith and the other coaches for the first time? Yeah. So, you know, that, that, that's, that, this, my, my journey to Kentucky could take up, take up the whole podcast in itself. Um, but long story short, I had a, an older cousin, Bobby Perry, who was a really good player. Um, he played at Kentucky, started at Kentucky and, you know, he was able to, uh, he asked coach Smith if there was a opportunity, uh, for a walk-on spot, uh, for me, uh, when I got done playing high school, when I finished up my high school career and one thing led to another and I was, you know, for that opportunity, I just kind of stuck with it. And, you know, the biggest thing that I noticed, you know, with coach Smith and his whole entire staff is, you know, coming from right Durham, coming from North Carolina in general, right, and being around you know the Tobacco Road with Duke and Carolina and NC State and even Wake Forest, you know, a little bit. You know that that was a very basketball centric upbringing and a basketball centric uh, area of the country. But you quickly realize when you go to Kentucky and you're exposed to you know Big Blue Nation, the that that. that Honestly, that that kind of trumps, you know, Tobacco Road. And, you know, it was being able to be around and be exposed to that environment on a daily basis was was an incredible experience and something that, you know, I've really been able to draw on even to this day. You mentioned Big Blue Nation is real. You know, hard to call any other fan base as rabid and passionate as them. What was your experience like as a member of the men's basketball team in Lexington? It was amazing. And like I said, I mean, it was a – I mean, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You know, for me, around my senior year of high school, I knew I wanted to coach. I knew, you know, being able to play professionally was, 
you know, anyone who's seen me play that they would probably know that was definitely, you know, not in the cards. Um, and so I knew I wanted to coach after basketball uh, was over. And so for me, I viewed it as, you know, if, you know, if, if I wanted to get the best type of education in basketball, you know, there's no better place than going to a place and going to a school like the University of Kentucky. Obviously, there's, you know, an immense amount of pressure to perform and do well, you know, and some people can view that as, you know, a burden, but, you know, you can also view that as an opportunity and you view that as an experience to see how you can perform and, you know, you observe how coaches perform and how your teammates perform under that pressure. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, the fan base, the type of support and the type of, you know, uh, passion and energy that goes into Kentucky basketball, again, is second to none. And so being able to experience that in my college career, you know, I think a lot of people, right, that that, that, that is that that's something that they would love to be able to experience. And so the fact that I was able to experience that, you know, I really I cherish that I cherish those moments even to this day. You know, until recently, Big Blue Nation didn't seem to appreciate Coach Smith and what he did in Lexington. How difficult was that for you as a student athlete to stay so locked in with so many talking heads or saying what not so nice things about your coach, but then also how nice was it to see him recognize, you know, in the past couple of years coming back to Lexington and, and really being celebrated the way he deserved. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's a, as, as anyone who knows, right. With just college sports in general and college basketball, right. It's, it can be a very uh, fickle, fickle situation. I think with Coach Smith, who's obviously a Hall of Fame, you know, head coach and, you know, the accolades and the success he has can kind of speak for itself. You know, Joby Hall made a he's he's had a quote and he's essentially said, I think, you know, no one should be at Kentucky longer than 10 years. And obviously, you know, Coach Calipari's he's 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 gone past that. But, you know, um, I think to his point, the amount of, you know, pressure and being under the microscope. Um, that, that, that as much as there is passion and exciting excitement, you know, attached to that, the other side of that is there can be a lot of stress attached to that and when, with any job, you know, in college basketball, but the Kentucky basketball head coaching job is probably, you know, to the nth degree as it relates to that. But I mean, I think when you're able to sit back and you're able to process and you're able to observe and see, right what coach Smith was able to do during his tenure, you know, winning a national championship and being able to win the SEC championships that he won and the overall games that he won, you know, and being able to see the NCAA tournament appearances that he was able to take the program to, you know, when you're able to look back on that as time goes on, just like, you know, a lot of coaches that I think at different schools, I think you're able to appreciate, right. The greatness, you know, that is a Tubby Smith or that is some of these, you know, other coaches that maybe in the moment don't maybe get the recognition um, that they probably can deserve even from their own fan base. But, you know, I think that that can be college basketball. And like we've already talked about, you know, uh, Kentucky basketball in itself can maybe magnify the magnify things, both good and um, in a less desirable situation at times. No, that's really well said, coach. You know, Billy Gillespie takes over in April of 2007. What was your first meeting like with him and, and how nervous were you? Because at the time, you know, you weren't on scholarship. Yeah, the the interesting thing, I think, with Coach Gillespie is remembering, 
you know, with the his last year at Texas A&M, I believe they actually played in Rupp Arena versus Louisville, if I'm not mistaken. And they beat Louisville, I think, to get to the Sweet 16, uh, if, memory ser- if my memory serves me um, correct. But, you know, the the first my first impressions were Coach Gillespie was he was pretty intense, but I thought he he was really passionate, and I knew you know he he really wanted to win, and he was gonna he was gonna put together a team and have a program that was gonna be really competitive. They were gonna play hard, guys were gonna be tough, and I think that uh that ended up holding true. After graduating from Kentucky with a degree in business management, you decided to try your hand at the coaching business. I know you said, you know, in high school, you knew you wanted to be a coach. How did you get plugged in with Stanford and, and what was life like out West? Yeah. So, you know, knew I wanted to coach. That was something that I never really wavered, that never wavered while I was at school. And so uh, as, as I finished up my career at Kentucky, you know, uh, Coach Dawkins, Johnny Dawkins was at Stanford. Uh, I had a relationship with him. I knew him from my time uh, growing up in Durham, obviously, while he was the coach at Duke. Uh, the assistant coach at Duke, and so was able to go out there and was a basketball intern for two years. And you know, this was you know you you talk about technology, things obviously have changed. You know, film exchange back then, you're you're exchanging physical hard copies of DVDs, and you're trying to plan that out. Whereas now, obviously, everything is on the internet and is software based with Synergy. But um, did a lot of video work, did a lot of obviously stuff that you know, GAs, graduate assistants and interns would do and honestly learned a lot, you know, being that far away. That was the first time I was ever, you know, literally on my own, obviously going away to college, right? There, There is some of that, but as we all know, right, you're, you're it's still not the true real world. Um, and so being across the other side of the country, you know, by myself, living by myself, um, it honestly forced me to grow up, I think, uh, rather quickly or quicker than I would have, you know, maybe if I was a a GA or some type of basketball intern, maybe closer uh, to home. But it was great. I mean, I was around a lot of great coaches. Obviously, Coach Jock Dawkins is a great coach in his own right. Uh, Mike Schrage, um, who obviously is is now back at Duke, was, was a great coach. Uh, Rodney Tension, Charles Payne, uh, and Dick Davey. You know, Dick Davey was, you know, the head coach at Santa Clara and coached a, a point guard that was pretty decent, right, and Steve Nash, uh, among other great players there. But, you know, being able to – being exposed to not only those coaches, but, you know, some really good players and a really good league in the Pac, Pac-10, Pac-12 now, but Pac-10 at the time, it was it was a great experience, to be honest, that – I didn't even really anticipate it being as great as it was and haven't really and didn't really, you know, fully appreciate it, honestly, um, until after my time there with everything that I was able to learn. And although Stanford won the NIT championship the season after you left, do you feel like you had an impact on that team? Yeah, I mean, you know, and I think in, in college basketball, right, there's, there's so many different people and so many different um, layers that go into success. And so, you know, I'd like to say I had a small, small hand, right. Looking back, if, if, if I'm being honest, right. You know, I just think like anything else, the number one thing is 
you just want to be there for the guys. You want to be able to be provide value for the coaching staff and you want to be able to, you know, give support in any way you can, you know, for the guys. And obviously your role would dictate, you know, the magnitude at which you can do that. Obviously my role, you know, in the grand scheme of things was very, very, very small, but more than anything, more than me being able to, you know, uh, you know, have an impact on, on winning or success. You know, I was, I just hope that, you know, my experience and my relationships with them, you know, they were able to take from that as much as I took, as much as I took at, took from it from them, which, you know, some of those guys I still talk to this day and some of those coaches, you know, we still have relationships to this day. And that's, what's really exciting just as much as it is, you know, the wins and losses. No question. That's all great to hear. You know, you moved back to the East coast. You worked for Shaka smart at VCU as a graduate assistant. How did you guys get connected and how nice was it to be back on the East Coast? It was extremely nice to be back on the East Coast if I'm not uh if I if I'm being completely honest. You know, Richmond's um Richmond's an amazing city. Uh I've lived a lot of places and Richmond is um, you know, it, it's it's an amazing, like I said, it's an amazing city. It's it's only two and a half hours away from Durham. You know, so that that was also pretty cool of being not only back on the East Coast, but being relatively close to, you know, my hometown and, you know, the not only the tradition in the city of Richmond, but just from a basketball and sports standpoint, you know, that the size of that city without having any pro teams and obviously Richmond and VCU being in there. I mean, it is they they, they care a lot about sports. And, you know, sorry, Spider fans out there, they really care a lot about VCU basketball. And it was as much as I was excited, you know, my my timing is great. I came the year after the Final Four. Um, and the success we had while I was there was phenomenal. But as 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 great of a time as I anticipated having, um, that my, my experience there exceeded the expectations even I thought you know that I, that I placed on it before getting there and you know again I think a common theme is obviously the head coaches that you're able to interact with that's always great because those guys are usually very successful and have a lot of knowledge but I think one of the one of the the what's really cool and what's really exciting every place I've I've been is not just my experience and the relationship I've cultivated and built with the head coach, but all of the relationships you get to build with all the assistant coaches and all the director of ops and video coordinators and support staff. And just as importantly, all the players you get to, you know, build relationships with in those places. And that's something that, again, I mean, that's uh, that in itself was worth the whole experience. No, I, I can fully attest to that coach. You know, I've heard from a number of guests on the podcast who've talked about the importance of working for a head coach who, quote, look like them. Is that something that made your first couple jobs in coaching appealing or just merely a coincidence? Yeah, I think for me, I mean, the biggest thing I think is finding people, whether they look like you or don't look like you. I think the biggest thing is finding people that value the same thing as you do. And, you know, that can come in many different forms of of a person um you know as long as people are pouring into you know the players as long as they care about the players 
And as long as they care about their safety and well-being and their personal and professional uh, basketball development, I think that's super important. And that's the most important thing I look for and I I, I value. And then really you go, it goes hand in hand, in my opinion, with, you know, the coaches and everyone else on staff. I think when you have people and you have a coach that treats people with respect and they have great relationships and have genuine relationships with different people on staff. In my experience, those have been the best uh, cultures and the best basketball staffs I've been able to enjoy and be around. What are some of the things you learned from Coach Smart? And why do you think so many of the people who've worked for him, whether it's GAs, associate head coach, director of basketball operations, have moved on to head coaching roles and have had success in the profession? Yeah, I think it's it's no it's not one specific thing, but I think he does a really good job of of pouring into his players, and I think he does a really good job of as simple as it sounds. Guys play really really hard for him, and they play really really hard for the program. And you know, even as a GA, you know, when I first got there and do it, people would come to practice. I mean, the every single time, the number one thing what people say is it's amazing how hard your guys play. And I think that that sounds really simple, but I think anyone who's been around sports and for all of us who, you know, have coached, you know, as simple as that sounds, that's really hard to do, you know, any year, especially year in and year out. And I think when you can have a group of guys, there's obviously a baseline talent, baseline level of talent. But when you have a group of guys that are willing to play, you know, hard as they possibly can, you know, that that makes up for a lot of things. And so I think, you know, the the one thing about players, just like people in general, they 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 value, right, the time that you spend with them. They value when you pour into them. And so I think, you know, being able to learn that and being able to carry that, you know, with me to the next job and to, you know, the job that I'm currently in now, just like some of the other you know, GAs are assistant coaches that have worked for Coach Smart. You know, I think that that's that's a big that's a big ingredient to uh, the recipe for the success that that a lot of people have had coming from that program. You talked about VCU going to the Final Four prior to you joining the staff. Uh, well, you guys did go to th- three consecutive NCAA appearances, going something like eighty-two and twenty-six, and winning almost 40 games in league play aside from talent. And you said, you know, players want to play hard for the coach. What's the secret sauce, man. You know, one thing I've learned with uh, Ray Allen said this best, you know, Ray Allen obviously is one of the best shooters of all time. Um, a champion. And when he retired, you know, he had a, he had an article that he posted and everyone wants to always ask them, you know, like, what was the key to success? You know, how, how did you shoot so well? You know, why were you so successful? And, you know, it, it's it's something I read and it's really simple, but it stuck with me. And he said, the secret is there is no secret. You know, it's just hard work. And everyone wants always this magic formula and this magic pill and this magic quote and this special, you know, ingredient or thing that you have to do. And a lot of times, right, it's it's what we already know. It's what we've all read. It's what we've all witnessed. Right, You got to work really hard. You treat people right. Guys play really hard, regardless of your style of play, 
you buy into it. And I think if you can consistently do that, I think you'll be successful. And that's the beautiful thing about basketball, right? We, I think two of my three years there, I could be wrong, but we led the nation in steals percentage, right? And turnover percentage, right? And we were very successful. And without knowing a specific team, I bet you could easily look up teams that were in the bottom 10 percentile of steal and turnover percentage that were still successful. And you can do that for a decent amount of, you know, uh, stats. And that's the great part about basketball. You can be successful playing different styles of play, having different type of players out on the court, right? You use multiple ways to skin the cat. The great part about basketball, right, like a lot of sports, but basketball specifically, is that you can do it a lot of different ways, and there's no one magic way to have success. But I think the, the key is, right, the common denominator and some of the same attributes, right, regardless, our guys usually play hard, right? Guys usually buy in to whatever style of play the coach is trying to get them to, to buy into. And, you know, when you have when you have those type of attributes, success usually follows. What were your main roles and responsibilities at BCU? So I was a GA for two years, and then um, I was a video coordinator my last year. So a lot of time was spent, you know, just rebounding and passing for guys in the gym. Uh, I broke down a lot of film, um, helped coaches, different coaches, you know, with with their film breakdown, um, with capturing practice and games, um, helping with, you know, uh, implement, implementing, you know, the scout for different coaches as far as, you know, their, their film, a lot of film-based stuff. And then, you know, um, off the court, just honestly spending a lot of time with the guys and not even always about just, you know, purely basketball. But again, you know, one thing that, you know, I think that was really good at VCU is th there was a, there was a heavy value spent on cultivating genuine relationships with players and, Again, not to be repetitive, but I think that all goes back to, again, you know, what we've talked about of why guys were able to play so hard and, and do that on a consistent basis. You know, ultimately, like so many, you want to be a head coach, not a career support staffer. When did you start looking for opportunities to get out on the road and coach on the floor? Yeah, for me, you know, that's something that, you know, I, I wanted to do it as as quickly as I was as soon as I was ready. Um, and obviously, you know, that can be a very, that can be a very tough deal in our profession. Cause you know, you can feel like you're ready and as much as you want to say you're ready, right. There's still someone that has to give you that opportunity. And, you know, for me, I was fortunate enough for that to happen, uh, you know, in the 2014, 15 season at Furman with coach Medved, with Nico Medved. But, you know, for me, I just, after I was, um, finished, finished up with my with my graduate program with my master's program and I was a video coordinator for a year you know that was definitely something given the right opportunity I thought I would be ready for and I was fortunate enough that coach Medved gave me that opportunity what was your connection to coach Medved and what was your first taste of the SOCON like yeah so I, I really um coach uh Mike Morrell um knew Bob Ritchie um and that was really my my connection um Mike Morrell was an assistant coach at the time. Um, and he and Bob Ritchie had worked together uh, at Charleston Southern. And so they had a uh, prior relationship and there was a spot open on the staff. And 
you know, they were looking for somebody that, you know, could, could step in and obviously coach Morrell passed my name along and one thing led to another. And that's, uh, that's how I ended up at Furman. But uh, my first, my first uh, experience with the SOCON, you know, ironic as it is, was we came in at Furman and we were not very good from a standing standpoint, but a team that was good was Wofford. And so my first year at Furman, we, uh, we actually finished in last place. Wofford won the league. And my first year, we lost in the championship game uh, as a 10 seed to Wofford, who won the uh, SOCON tournament and ended up going to the NCAA tournament. Furman goes 91 and 68 overall, 321 seasons, shared the regular season title in 16 17 over that span. You mentioned, you know, it wasn't very good when you, when you guys, you know, started. How motivated were those teams, coaches, uh, that, you know, you guys wanted to make history. The team hadn't been in the tournament since 1980. Like, I know that's got to, you know, be a, a target that you guys are shooting for. Yeah, I think like any team anyone's ever on, right, the most important thing is that you try to be as successful as you can be and you try to reach your full potential. And I think that's one thing that, you know, we were able to do every year there. And I was fortunate enough to be a part of some really successful teams and fortunate to be around some really good people uh, versus uh, as far as coaches and players. And so for us, you know, I think, you know, every year you try to set out the goal of how can we be the best we can be? And I think if you hit that, regardless of, you know, whether you finish in first, whether you finish in third, whether you finish in second, whether you finish in fourth, if you can honestly look yourself in the mirror and say, I was the best player I could be. I was the best coach that I could be. We were the best team that we can be. You know, I think you can, uh, I think, you know, you can, you can feel, you can feel like you've done your job. And I thought we did a good job, you know, hitting that mark. And so I was, I was fortunate that, you know, by the time I left Furman, I thought the program was in a better place than when, you know, I first got there. And, I was fortunate enough and I felt like, you know, I was able to be as small a part, a part of that to help contribute to that. And I was, uh, I, w I was happy and I was glad that, you know, uh, when I left at the program, I thought again, was, was better than when we first got there. You guys went to back-to-back CITs advanced to the semifinals, your final season in Greenville. What was the approach in those tournaments? You know, obviously you want to win a championship. Doesn't matter whether it's a, you know, Maui Invitational or postseason tournament. But was the mindset building for the future or was it at that time playing the best players regardless if they were seniors who weren't coming back? Yeah, I think the goal is always how do you how do you how do you improve? And I think for us, I think like most teams I've been on, you know, you can't really worry too much about the future. You got to focus on the present. And so, you know, the goal is to win. And that was the biggest thing that we try to go into it. We want to do as best we can. Yeah, the future is great, but like we gotta we gotta focus on the present still, and we gotta plan to win. And so I, that's the biggest thing. I know different people may have different views on how to go about those tournaments, but for us and any team I've been on, the goal is to win. Yeah, you know, your first season at Wofford, the Terriers upset North Carolina. What was that celebration like, and how much of your family was in attendance since that game is so close to your hometown? Uh, that was a great game, man. I mean, I think, you know, anytime, you know, the cool thing is that game was in Carmichael. And two years prior, uh, Walford had beaten 
uh, Carolina in the Smith Center. And the fact that, you know, we were able to beat Carolina two out of three years, that, that's that's great. That's remarkable. And the fact that I think, you know, we were able to do that in the Smith Center is is awesome. Uh, or excuse me, and, and uh, Carmichael is awesome. And, you know, that was uh, that, that was really cool growing up, you know, uh, I have a lot of family that that is still obviously in the area. And so uh, I can't remember the exact number, but it was a decent it was a good amount of family that definitely came to the game. I know my parents, uh, my sister, uh, they were there. So that was that was really cool to see. And it was it was honestly a great just a great experience for our guys to to be rewarded for playing, for playing hard. And they deserved to win the game. And they did. Since you've been at Wofford, you've coached a number of all league players, I think nine all conference selections, including Nathan Hoover, Storm Murphy, Morgan Safford, Max Klesmet, BJ Mack. What does that say about the job that you guys have done developing talent and also recruiting guys that other schools might have missed out on coming out of high school? Yeah, I think the the one common denominator at Walford is we we try to evaluate really good basketball players and you know, that that can come in many forms. That can come with kids that have a high rep. That can come from kids that are underrated. That can come from, you know, guys that are from the Southeast and from this region. It can obviously come from guys super far away, whether that's the Northeast, the Midwest, uh, different countries. Um, you know, and so for us, I think we just try to evaluate as, as simple as it sounds, really good basketball players. You know, if – if you're a really good basketball player, right, and you're competitive and you're tough and, you know, you're a really good teammate, I think you're going to have a lot of success at Walford, you know, because those guys want to get better. Those guys are willing to be coached. Those guys are committed to doing what it takes to win. And I think when you have a collection of guys like that, right, obviously the team gets better. And the players get better as well, right? It's a two-way street. And I think a lot of times people view this thing as one or the other. Either I have to continue to grow and get better and develop individually, or the team has to, you know, do well and perform well and win. And I think when, you know, in my personal opinion, when a program is operating at a really high level, especially ours, I think both of those things are in line. And I think, you know, obviously, you know, with Coach Johnson when he was here and obviously Coach Young as well, you know, uh, doing a really good job winning five championships. I think that that's been a major recipe for success here is having really tough competitive dudes that know how to play the game of basketball at a high level and are willing to do it for one another. During that 2021-22 campaign, we're still in the height of the pandemic. You actually served as the acting head coach for a home win versus Sanford. I'm curious, how much confidence did you have in yourself to act as the head coach? And what gave you that amount of confidence? I had a lot of confidence in, you know, not only myself, but our entire staff. And, you know, I say that pretty – I say that confidently, and it's it's less to do with me, and it's more to do with the job that I think as a staff, as a collective staff we did, and also, right, the type of guys we had in that locker room. And obviously, I think, you know, you you were there, right, when you have guys that are willing to play hard for one another and are willing, you know, to to work and show up every single day, right, even when things are tough, 
when they're able to do that, you know, I think you it's easy as a coach to have confidence. You know, I think, you know, that game, that game was a really was a great game because obviously Sanford's a really good team. They had a great year. They obviously, you know, won our league. But I think one thing it showed that I think as coaches we already knew and as players, I think at the time, I think they thought they knew, but it was good, right, right affirmation is that when we're playing our game and we're playing well, we can be one of the best teams in the league. And it was great, right, that 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 day, right, that was able to be on display. And I think that gave our team a lot of confidence, right? Like it's 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 an interesting basketball is a great is a is a is a great light is a great uh, uh, can be a great teacher of life. You know, that same Sanford team that we beat. Right. We also lost to uh, down in Birmingham and those two games were very, very different. And I think the preparation that we had leading up to the game, right, the shoot arounds we had leading up to those two games, right, I think those two things were great indicators of, hey, when we're locked in and we're playing together and we're going to play hard and we're going to play tough, this is how good we can be. And when we deviate from that and we don't do those things, right, this is how it could easily turn out. And so, you know, that was a uh, 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 more than anything, it was a great lesson, I think, not only as a coach, but right as players and as a program that when we're playing our best and we're locked in and we're doing the things that we know we can do, you know, we can be a really special group. This past season, I joined the staff at Wofford. Be honest, what was your first initial impression of me and how difficult was it to lose uh, Coach Hart prior to the season, obviously, great that he was able to you know become a d1 assistant coach but uh, to lose a coach so close to the season yeah it was tough with coach Hart I mean coach Hart a, is a is a great coach uh he's a great guy um he's he's just starting out this this is going to be his first year he was at IUPUI and then now he's at Georgia Southern so I know he's going to do great things there uh my first impression I don't know if you remember I actually met you the very first time it was like the night of Halloween. Um, and so my first impression was, man, this is going to be, you're, you're going to get right. You're going to get, uh, into this thing quick and fast because anytime, right. You're new to a job or, or, you know, to a situation, there's always a learning curve and there's always, you know, a period of time where you kind of got to get your bearings and you got to get used to things. Well, I, I remember because it was obviously Halloween. Halloween and for basketball season, I mean, things are already going at full speed. And so I was like, man, I feel bad for you. But, you know, I was also excited because as much as it was tough to lose Coach Hart, you know, I had heard some really good things about you. You came highly recommended. So I was looking forward to uh, being able to not only be around you, but learn from you. Well, I do pay a lot of people to say good things about me. So no, I appreciate it. There you that, go. That's, that's half the battle. <laughs> You know, we went on the road and lost by only three points at both LSU and Vanderbilt. What did those two games show you about the group of guys that we had in that locker room this past season? Yeah, I think it showed what we already knew. I mean, we had a really good, tough group of guys. And I think, you know, obviously those were two teams uh, that obviously, you know, at the high major level have have different different elements to their game and to their program that can – obviously pose, you know, uh, difficulty playing. But I think the game it showed is 
we have a great group of guys that, you know, when, when we play together, we can do some really good things. And we obviously came up short in both of those games, but, you know, I think it wasn't, you know, uh, at all due to our guys not playing hard or not being bought in or not doing the things that, you know, goes into winning. I think, you know, we were a young group and we just came up short. How did you individually cope with the stress of serving as the head coach and having so many people reaching out with calls and texts? Yeah, that was, that was a very interesting time. You know, it was something, um, you know, there is really no guide or no handbook for that, you know, as, you know, as much as I tried to reach out to different people that took over in similar situations, um, there's really one thing you come to find is every situation was is kind of unique in its own way. And so as much as you could say, all right, well, this person took over at this point in the year, or this person took over under this circumstance, every single person, there was a different, you know, nuance to the situation that made it, all right, well, that's really not fully applicable. Um, but the one common denominator that I really took from that and a, a big way um, and a, a way I was able to cope to answer your, your question is, you know, one thing that not only every single person uh, spoke spoke about that I talked, that I reached out to, but also as a staff we talked about is the most important thing has to be our players, right? How can we focus on them? And it quickly turned into we just need to be there for them and make sure that they're the best that they can be and in the best place mentally, emotionally, and physically. And so for me, I thought it was that was a big part of coping because, right, I spent very, very little time and minimal amount of time focusing on, right, me and my own thoughts and, you know, getting into am I stressed or anxious or nervous and it was all about you know the the 15 guys in our locker room and I thought that was something that our whole entire staff did an incredible job of for the whole entire year is we just focused in on the guys what do the guys need what do the guys need and as much as that changed throughout the year different guys need different things I thought it also allowed us right to really focus on what was most important, which was our players. And so, you know, I thought that was a that, that was a big help for me is, is hearing that from different people and also being able to hear that from the staff, you know, quickly after um, the transition took place. Talk about, you know, I remember the game against Coastal Carolina. Cliff Ellis is going for his 900th win. We have a great crowd in Jerry Richardson Indoor Stadium. And, and we win. How neat was it to coach opposite a Hall of Fame coach like that, come out victorious, and have the support of the community and the school, uh, you know, for our program? Yeah, I'll be honest. I mean, I think the crowd and the school, you know, supporting our players and the program, that was awesome. And I was really, I was really happy and way more for our guys. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a cool, that was a cool experience that I think now. Um, looking back on how I was, I'm able to kind of appreciate it a little more going against a coach that's, you know, as, uh, as obviously successful as Cliff Ellis, I think in the moment, you know, it was a very, uh, a very stressful and up and down, you know, uh, couple days, I think after the game, you're just able to breathe a sigh of relief and, 
you know, it was, it, it, it was cool. And most importantly, right. As, as much as, you know, all the other stuff we talked about, I was just glad we won the game. Cause one thing it's easy to forget, you know, we did not play well. Our guys played really hard, uh, but we did not play well. You know, it's uh, a lot, a lot went into that and why that was, but you know, it wasn't a game. We came out and we were just banging all these shots and, you know, things were going right and we couldn't do any wrong. You know, I was a game. We had to grind it out. And, you know, we, we were fortunate enough to make some plays at the end to come out on top. You led us to a road win over Texas A&M at their place. What's it like as a head coach to go into a bye game and come out victorious? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be at a place like Wofford to where, you know, just going off history, there there's a lot of situations where we obviously beat teams in those situ- in, in those situations, right, in bye games. And so I think at this point, it's not a real tough sell to, to explain to your guys that not only can we compete against this team, not only can we beat this team, but there isn't a game we go into to where I think as coaches we're able to com- clearly communicate and I think reasonably communicate we should win this game. And that's something that not a lot of places can say. And history backs that up for us. That's the fortunate thing. I think, you know, anybody can say that. But if you just go through, right, the last five to seven years, I mean, there's a lot of situations and illustrations of that to where we go into different environments on neutral floors, uh, on away courts, and in another opponent's arena, and we're able to beat them. And I think, you know, on paper – in those situations, people would say, oh, wow, that, that, there's no way they can beat that team. But the one common thread, right, and it's honestly regardless of who has been at the helm here, is that it goes back to what I said before. We usually have a collection of guys that are really good basketball players that are tough and that are committed to doing whatever it takes to win. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, but two other Power 5 teams lost by games that day. So it wasn't as much of a headline as it might have otherwise been. Did you receive any calls or texts that surprised you from coaches or former teammates across the country? Yeah, I did. I uh it it was it was a decent amount. I was honestly overwhelmed with the amount. Um but yeah, no no one person in particular uh I would say I would say stood out. Um but it was it was great and it was honestly uh it was very humbling being able to get uh the amount of calls and texts I did from as many people as I did. And that was the cool thing is right. You you realize in this, in this situation, not only is your staff, right. But so many friends and family and former players and coaches, right. Being able to appreciate uh, the success of others is something that is, is really cool to be able to, to be able to take part in. No question. You know, we we ended up upsetting UNC Greensboro. I say that in quotation marks in the quarterfinals of the SoCon tournament. Looking back on the season, you know, obviously that's included, but what was your individual for you most memorable moment of the past season? You know, that's a really tough uh that's a tough question because there was definitely a lot of highlights. Um, you know, I would yeah, for me, I would probably say uh UNC Greensboro was great being able to being able to beat them and and advance in the semifinals, being able to beat 
Sanford at home, a really good team that won our league, being able to obviously beat Texas A&M, the only team in the country to beat Texas A&M on their home floor all year uh, was great. But, but I say one that's up there and I think it, uh, it usually gets overlooked a little bit is our senior night win at home versus Chattanooga. You know, I think a lot goes into that, you know, Part of that is senior night. Uh, I'm I'm a very sentimental person. And so the culmination of careers of, you know, our players of of BJ Mack and Messiah Jones and even Jonathan Stillman, um, you know, being able to win on senior night, in my opinion, is always special. Um, but again, right, being able to draw back on what led up to that, it's really easy to forget the game before that, right? And, you know, as much as it pains me to say, right losing to vmi the game before right that was that that was a really that was a low point i think uh everyone was really upset and frustrated and felt like you know we let one get away and to me as painful as that was the fact that our program was able to respond i've i've never i've i've maybe never been more proud of a group of guys than after that night at home versus Chattanooga, because 99% of teams that have, that, that had gone through what our group had gone through at that point and lost to a team and no disrespect at all, but lost to a team like VMI would have folded up shop and they probably would have packed it in on the year. And to be honest, it would have been, 100% 100% understandable and justifiable with everything that the group had been through. And the fact that that team turned around and beat one of the better teams in our league and was able to do it the way we did it, playing hard, playing tough, and playing together, um, for that to be the last game that B.J. Mack and Messiah Jones and Jonathan Stillman played on uh, the home floor and Jerry Richardson, that 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 to me is one of the more special uh, memories of the season as well. You know, we knew we were losing Messiah and BJ uh, since Whopper doesn't have grad school. As far as scholarship players, how tough is it knowing that, you know, we have to try and replace two scholarship players who were as good as both of them for the black and gold and had so many intangibles besides just raw skill and ability. Yeah, repeat repeat your question one more time. I'm sorry, David. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, obviously, uh, Messiah and BJ, uh, we knew wouldn't be returning just not having grad school uh, currently. How tough was it knowing that, in a way, we had to replace two scholarship players who were as great as they were uh, down in Spartanburg for the black and gold, uh, but also not just the raw skill and abilities, but their intangibles they brought on and off the court? Yeah, I think one thing I've come to learn is you never really replace great players, right? Because a big reason why they're great is not because they score or rebound or get assists or steals. The reason why great players are great is because of what they do, not only right off the court, but even on the court, what they're able to do from an intangible standpoint. And so, you know, there is no replacing Messiah Jones, right? There is no replacing a BJ Mack. Um, you fill in those holes and you get really good players and you continue to elevate the program 
you know, but those guys are special players and those guys are special people. Um, you know, it, th th those two for what they've done for the program during their time here is, uh, is remarkable. And those two guys, right. And it's, and even John Stillman, but those two guys specifically, you know, what they've done for Wofford basketball, I think will, uh, will go on for years upon years, even after everyone is gone. Uh, and I think, you know, the program thanks them because those guys were able to not only perform at a high level statistically, individually, they were able, I thought they did a great job of leading our entire program. We were the 18th youngest team in the country last year, the 18th youngest team in the country. And a big reason we were able to have the success that we had is because we had the leadership, right? The emotional, mental, um, and verbal leadership of a Messiah Jones, of a BJ Mack. And so, you know, as we move forward, right, obviously we knew those guys were going to, you know, go on because we don't have grad school. Um, and I think we signed some really good players um, with their, with their play scholarship wise, but just from a holistic standpoint, right. You don't, you don't feel number 25 or number 33 shoes. Um, you, you just kind of have to readjust and pivot and try to get some really good players that can keep moving the program forward. Love it. Wofford announced on March 21st, you're having the interim tag removed, being named the head coach at Wofford College. How stressful were the weeks leading up to that? And talk about the emotion you felt when you found out the great news. Yeah, um, I would love to sit here and tell you I wasn't nervous. I would love to sit here and tell you that I, mean, I wasn't stressed at all. I was not stressed one bit from the time I had to take over until the season ended. That was a very... um. Like I said, being able to pour into the guys, that really eliminated almost all the stress during the season. Um, the moment that season ended until I was named the head coach was probably one of the most stressful uh, two-plus weeks of my entire professional life. <laughs> and that was uh, that was something, as much as everyone told me, to be ready for all the conversations I had with people who have been in similar situations all those conversations couldn't have prepared me for the stress that uh that I ended up enduring. But it it was well worth it. Um I've I'll never forget, obviously, being as elated as it was um when Coach Richard Johnson uh gave me the news that I was gonna be the the full-time head coach at Wofford. And I was excited, not only for myself, definitely for my family, knowing that we were gonna be able to still be a part of the the Wofford and Spartanburg community but equally as excited to be able to uh, carry this, ca carry the program on um, what is that, that is a rich tradition. That's Wofford basketball. Coach, what's your why and why do you coach basketball? I love being around guys. I love being around, you know, as I get older, uh, I say young players, but I just enjoy being around the group of guys and being able to help lead them not only basketball, but honestly, off the court. You know, my biggest thing is I, I, I'm i sure, right, far after I'm done coaching certain players, whether they remember a certain play that I drew up or whether, you know, they remember, you know, certain, you know, techniques are different. 
parts about basketball or skill development uh, that we talked about in a, in a, in a workout session or individual like that, that that's okay. But the number for, for me, the biggest thing is I want those guys to say coach Perry helped them become a better man. And, you know, honestly, the basketball piece, the winning games, the winning championships, I would be lying if I said that that wasn't a factor. It 100 percent is. I want to win. I think anyone that knows me would would be able to say that I'm I'm pretty competitive. But I think my driving force and my why is rooted in being able to being able to move guys forward as as men, um, because we're obviously we're getting these these young men as 18, 19 year olds. Um, and when they leave at 22, 23 years old, yeah, they're not fully full fledged grown men, but in some ways they are. And more importantly, they have to be ready to go about their business that way when they go into the real world. And I think a lot of times in this profession, I think everyone is, you know, fixated and, and I, I do get it, but everyone's fixated on how they can maximize guys um, from a basketball standpoint, which is great. But I think sometimes we can do that at the expense of how can we prepare them to be the best men that they can be. And I do think there's a balance to be able to do both. Uh, and so for me, my why is, is definitely rooted and making them the best person that they can be so that, you know, when they are husbands, when they are fathers, right, I can I can share in the small piece of why they were able to be the best version of that uh, as possible. I love that, Coach. And, I again, I can personally attest uh, to that, that I saw you make that impact on, you know, the lives of our players and you know, the guys on the coaching staff and anyone affiliated with the program. Thank you. Last last tough question before the fun stuff. Coaching and tire for next season at Wofford. Break some news for us, coach. What's it gonna be? Oh, we're we're rolling, we're rolling with the suits. We're rolling with the suits that that served us really well. So we're gonna keep that moving. If it if it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> no question. Coach, we've come to the segment I call start bench cut. I give you three things. You start one, bench one, and cut one. All right. Nike Adidas Under Armour. Oh, Adidas for sure. We're starting Adidas. 100%. We're going to start Adidas. Adidas is getting all the shots. We're treating it. We're treating Adidas like, like 2000, 2001 Allen Iverson. <laughs> we're surrounding him with the Kimbe Matumbo, Aaron McKee, Eric Snow. And, and we're, and we're letting Adidas go to work. Um, honestly, benching and cutting, you know, we're not really, we're not really worried about that. Um, I don't, I don't know what the other two are going to do. I just know, I just know we're getting a lot of shots and running a lot of plays, uh, for, for, for my man, Adidas. He He's going to be getting buckets. Fair enough. Cribs, Broncos, RJ Rockers. Man, you can't go wrong with either one. It depends on what you want. Um, but I think Cribs, Broncos, RJ Rockers, all three places, um, are really good places in Spartanburg to eat. I think you can't go wrong with either one. Um, so that's going to be a three-way tie for me. All right, Jordan, LeBron, Kobe. Jordan, LeBron, Kobe. Three really good players. Um, you know, it's that's a tough one. I think um, I'm going to start MJ. I'm going to bench Kobe, and I'm going to cut LeBron. 
But I think you're winning a lot of games no matter who you start and no matter, obviously, who you bring off the bench. Great answer, and that's one of the main reasons we get along, Coach. There you go. Movies. I know you're a movie buff. American Gangster, Goodfellas, Training Day. Wow. Man. American Gangster, Goodfellas, Training Day. Yeah, we're going to start Ameri- – we're going to start Training Day. We're going to bench Goodfellas, and we're going to cut American Gangster. Um, and all three of those movies are great movies that I probably could that I probably could quote a decent amount. Last one, Coach. Hoop Dirt, Verbal Commits, Transfer Portal. Hoop Dirt, Verbal Commits, Transfer Portal. Man, that's uh, that's uh, that's an interesting one. That's probably in the Broncos, RJ Rockers, and Cribs category. All three of them are three-way tie. They all serve their purpose at the appropriate time. Coach, who are three guests I should have on the podcast? Who are three guests you should have on the podcast? I'd give you three great guests that know basketball that can that can give great great interviews, and that's going to be Tyser Anderson, William Murphy, and Drew Gibson. I like those answers, Coach. Uh, I like. I'm not. That's that's a very objective, unbiased answer. Obviously. Oh, definitely, no question. What advice would you have for coaches trying to either get into the business or work their way up the coaching ranks? Yeah, the best advice I would give is try to find value wherever you are or wherever you would like to be. Um, you know, I think you can't focus on on level. You you, you tr- got to get in wherever you have a wherever you have an opportunity, right? If even if it's at regardless of level, regardless of role, I think you have to get in and and try to seize that opportunity if that door's cracked. And I think once you find that opportunity, I think the number one thing is it doesn't matter if if the job is too big or too small. Whatever you do is you have to f- try as best you can to provide value. And on top of doing that, and they kind of go hand in hand, I would try to say keep the main thing the main thing. And a lot of that for me goes back to keeping it about the players. Love it. Coach, if listeners want to get in touch with you, email, social media, what have you, what, what's the best way? Uh, I mean – I'm, I would probably say social media, you know, for me, um, Twitter, Twitter for me probably is really good. Dwight underscore Perry. Um, you know, you can reach me via Twitter. Uh, the other one obviously is Instagram, uh, coach underscore Perry 30. Uh, that, those are probably the best way. Coach, appreciate you coming on the podcast. I uh, enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Thank- Thanks for listening to the beyond the box score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.